Our Old Testament reading is from Proverbs 1, verses 1 through 7, and you can find that on page 339 in the paper Bibles. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. To understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the word of the Lord. I want to start off by talking about the movie Do the Right Thing. Have you guys ever seen that? Uh, it's one of Spike Lee's, probably his most famous movie, right? And, and it centers around uh, this story of uh, a black man living in a black neighborhood who goes into a, a pizza shop and asks the owner why he doesn't have any black faces on his wall of fame, why it's just Italian actors. And he tells him he, that he should put them on there. And then the pizza owner, he refuses, uh, and it leads to this series of escalating conflict uh, that results in, in conflict that flows out into the neighborhood and, and uh, tears this, this community apart. Um, but the movie is more than just the story of those characters. It deals with all sorts of issues that are prevalent in society. It deals with the issue of racism. It, it deals with gentrification. It deals with police brutality. Um, it deals with the, the complex problems of a complicated society. And the title of that movie is, is Do the Right Thing. And I think that gets at the reason why we need a book like Proverbs. Right? The issues in, the, in that movie, they're not really clear-cut at all, but neither is real life. Real life's not clear-cut. Uh, every problem is layered and interwoven with all sorts of other things, and, and every argument seems to have, uh, there seem to be good arguments on, on both sides of most issues. So in this world, in the complicated and complex world that we live in, how can we do the right thing? How do we even know what the right thing is? Well, in the real world, we, we don't just need rules. We need to know how to apply the rules, when to apply the rules. What we need is wisdom. And God knows that. And that's why he has given us the book of Proverbs. And that's why we're going to take this book and we're going to study it for the next couple of months. We're going to look at different topics that it addresses. We're going to try to understand the wisdom in this book. Um, but this morning, before we get into the specific topics that uh, this, the book of Proverbs addresses, this morning my task is just to introduce it to you. What I want to do today is... Uh, tell you about the book, and help us understand how we are supposed to approach the, the book of Proverbs. How do we read this book? What is the purpose of this book? How do we approach this text? And then after that, I want us to look at verse 7, the last verse of our passage, and, and ask the question, where do we begin our search for wisdom? 
Where do we begin our search for wisdom? And then how do we know if we're on the right track? So that's it. First, uh, we're going to talk about the book. Then we're going to ask, where do we begin our search for wisdom? Um, okay, so Proverbs. The first thing that you need to know about the book of Proverbs is that this is uh, a genre in the, in the scriptures called wisdom literature. And uh, just like movie genres, uh, you can tell the difference uh, between one genre in the Bible and the next. You know, you can tell the difference between an action movie like the Avengers. Uh, you can tell that that's different from a drama like like Selma or Spotlight. You know the differences just by kind of observing the way that they're formed. Well, wisdom literature in the Bible is its own unique style, and it's that means with, with, that we read it differently than we might read a historical book like the book of Joshua or a prophetical book like like Jeremiah. Um, and we need to know what that difference is. We need to know how how we're supposed to look at this book. Um, I once, I heard a college football coach who was, uh, I don't know, on some TV show talking about how he would like, he liked to read a chapter of the Proverbs every day. And you'll occasionally meet people who do that because there's 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. There's about 31 days in, in a month and you can get through it. And I don't want to disparage that way because I'll be honest, if you do that, if you get through the book of Proverbs 12 times in a year, you will learn something from it. Uh, reading God's Word is a great thing, but I'm not impressed when people tell me that they're speeding through a chapter of Proverbs every morning because I don't think that's the best way to study wisdom literature. Reading huge chunks, uh, reading huge chunks of the book of Proverbs can kind of be like reading a page of the dictionary or something. Right? It's, it's, you can read it that way. Right? It's possible. You'll learn some things about, you know, the letter B or something. But, but it's not the most effective way. It's not the most efficient way to learn what you're, what, what's before you. Um, also, I, I feel like this is a great opportunity to plug our Bible reading plan. <laughs> if you've been with us, we do have like a year long Bible reading plan and each day they just give you one or two proverbs at the end. Um, so check that out. If you start today, you can still read half the Bible by the end of the year. And there's, I think, a copy laying out there on our on our greeting table. So let's talk about Proverbs again. How do you get a feel for this book? How do you read this book? Well, let's just look at one example from the middle of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 16. And since you got those Bibles, maybe you can open them up. Uh, Proverbs chapter 16. When somebody finds it, tell me what page it is. 347. Okay, Proverbs 16. Page 347, we're looking at verse 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The heart of a man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. An oracle is on the lips of a king. His mouth does not sin in judgment. Now, if you read those along with me, immediately you're going to notice a few things. First, you're going to notice that the lines are all jumbled up, right? If you're looking at your, your Bible in English, uh, I'm just going to tell you some facts you may already know. But if you look at your Bible and the lines are all kind of jutted like that, that is the way of for your uh, translators to tell you you are looking at Hebrew poetry. So whenever you come across poetry, they translate it to try to show you some of the uh, original uh, poetic style there. Um, so that's the first thing you'll notice. The second thing you're going to notice is that the topics 
are changing every line. Right? Those, those four lines, those four proverbs that, that we just read covered a wide variety of things, right? It was talking about, uh, the way we plan our future. It was talking about, uh, injustice. It's talking about the king. It's talking about a bunch of different things. Now, some passages of proverbs, you can find a theme in a few proverbs in a row. You might find a chunk that all seems to be related. But oftentimes, when you read through the proverbs, you'll find that there isn't an obvious connection from one proverb to the next. It's more of a collection of, of wise sayings uh, that, that someone has compiled. Um, so it takes a while, too, as you, as you look at these, to comprehend them. We just read four, and I think if I took like a 10-minute break right now, and we all looked at one of them, we could begin to get our minds around what they really mean. Like, what is the point of that phrase? Each proverb takes a few seconds to contemplate, to, to learn. It's a book that is designed to be savored. Proverbs is a, is a book that is designed to be contemplated, to be mulled over, to be learned. Another thing you might have noticed is that some of these Proverbs aren't true all the time. The first one we read, it said, a man, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. So when, when someone is living a life that pleases the Lord, even his enemies will be at peace with him. Now, that's true sometimes, right? But we can think of a lot of examples where that is not the case. Where someone lives a life that's pleasing to the Lord and, and what they get from it is anything but peace with their enemies. Jesus, for example, <laughs> was a great example of that. So, we have to understand that these aren't trying to teach us uh, laws. Proverbs aren't trying to tell us how things are all the time, or even how you're supposed to behave every time. But what it's trying to give us is general principles for wisdom. General principles for a godly life. But they aren't telling us what you're supposed to do in each situation. For instance, uh, Proverbs 26, it says... Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. That's Proverbs 26.4. Answer not a fool according to his folly. Proverbs 26.5 says, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Well, which one is it? Well, it's both, right? <laughs> sometimes when people are, are being ignorant, you just ignore them. And sometimes you say, well... If you ask a stupid question, I'm going to give you a stupid answer, <laughs> right? Both things are appropriate sometimes. Okay, so why has it got to be so complicated? Why, why does it have to be like this? Why can't it just be straightforward? Why can't the, the, author of, the authors of Proverbs just tell us what they mean? Well, it's because Proverbs has a very specific purpose. Um, and it says it right here at the beginning of our passage this morning. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. That's the purpose. It says that Proverbs exists to teach us wisdom. Look at some of the words you might have picked up when I was reading. Instruction, understanding, 
Words of insight, righteousness, justice, prudence, discretion. Did you pick up all those things? Wisdom. It's kind of tough to define. There's all sorts of different aspects to the word wisdom. It's, it's a kind of intelligence, but it's more than just being smart, right? We all know plenty of people who can, can ace a test, but have no wisdom whatsoever, right? We know people who, who are, are great at, at, at schooling, but they don't know how to treat others well, and they're always getting their own lives into trouble. And meanwhile, some of the wisest people I know never got out of high school. So it's a, it's a kind of intelligence, but it's not the same thing, right? It's, it's a kind of goodness, too. But it's not exactly rule-keeping, is it? He says righteousness, justice, equity. Those are all words that they, they transcend rule-keeping. This week I was reading the news and uh, the name of, uh, her name was Irene Gut. Opdyke, have you heard of her before? I'd not heard of this this woman, but it was in a news story. She was um, she had been alive during the Holocaust and was hiding twelve uh, Jews in her basement, and she got caught. And when she got caught, she agreed to become the mistress of the Nazi officer who caught her in order to save their lives. And so, through the course of the war, she was committing adultery in order to prevent murder. Right? Sometimes the rules don't totally apply. At the end of the war, it said that the, this committee that was examining the events of the Holocaust gave her the title Righteous Among the Nations. That was the, the, the title that this Jewish council awarded her. So to know righteousness, justice, and equity in a world with a thousand complicated problems, right? And not just the world back then, the world today, the world with, with Trayvon Martin, right? The world with all kinds of income inequality, the world with just a messed up school system. What does it mean to know justice and righteousness and, and equity? Sometimes just following the rules perpetuates the problem. Navigating life, it requires more than intelligence. It requires more than morality. It takes wisdom. And that's what Proverbs is about. That's where the book of Proverbs comes in to teach us wisdom. Okay, so that's the point. Let's, let's now look at this passage. If we want to be wise, where do we start? Where can we begin our search for wisdom. Verse 7, right after laying out that purpose statement, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay, now, I know it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but I just told you this is poetry we're working with, with Hebrew poetry, and you, you got to understand when you look at these lines that are paired together, the two lines are working together to try to make a point. Um, so these words, knowledge, wisdom, and instruction, are all kind of working together to build up the same concept. They're trying to tell us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And 
If you don't believe me, you can skip ahead to chapter 9 where it says exactly that. Chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. That's pretty simple, right? It's saying that wisdom must begin with fearing the Lord. Okay, another another Bible note. You guys are learning a lot of like, I don't know if these are interesting facts, but I'm telling them to you. Uh, if you look in your Bibles, you'll notice that the word Lord in verse 7 is in small caps, right? All the rest of the words are are not. That is the way that the, the translators are trying to tell you you are looking at the word Yahweh, which is the, the personal name of God. Uh, that is the, the English signal that the holy name for God is, is behind that word. And, and that means that apart from Yahweh, apart from the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, apart from him, there is no hope of true wisdom. Apart from Yahweh, there is no true wisdom. Okay, so maybe if you're, you have some objections already, right? Isn't that kind of arrogant for us to say there's no wisdom apart from God? I know tons of people who I would say are wise, and they're not Christians. What about Gandhi? What about Socrates, right? Are you saying that, that these people aren't wise? Well, no, I'm not. And that's, this is one of the tricky things about wisdom. Even in the book of Proverbs, if you read through it, there are a few verses here that all scholars pretty much agree were taken from other sources. There are a couple of Proverbs that, that Solomon or whoever wrote that chapter collected from another king, maybe a king from Egypt. And we see in 1 Kings, Solomon, who was the wise king, who wrote large sections of this book, that his wisdom was so famous that other kings would come, other rulers would come and, and observe what he had to teach. Right, the, the queen of Sheba, for instance, came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. So there was this culture of shared wisdom. Um, even Paul, writing in the New Testament, he pulls in from some of the philosophers of his day to make a point. Um, one of the greatest gifts that God has given the world is that his law is written on the hearts of humanity. The Bible tells us that his law is written on everyone's hearts, and that means that we are going to have shared instincts about what's right and what's wrong. That's why Gandhi could say, an eye for an eye only makes the whole world blind. And then Martin Luther King could take that quote and use that as he taught people about civil disobedience as a Christian minister. There is a type of wisdom that exists in the world at large that we can celebrate, and even the Bible celebrates it. The church should recognize it. But the other thing that Scripture tells us, the other thing that this verse wants to tell us is, in some ways, this wisdom is deficient. The wisdom of the world is deficient because in order to be wise, you have to begin from the source of wisdom. You have to begin with Yahweh. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Okay, so let's talk about fear really briefly here. 
We hear that word, the fear of the Lord, and instantly we're thinking about horror movies, we're thinking about running and screaming, we're thinking, you know, that's not the healthiest way to relate to God. And and I think you're right, that's not the healthiest way to relate to God, but uh, we kind of get use this word fear a little differently today. Fear, when it comes up in Scripture, has two aspects. When Solomon tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the first thing that, that we need to see is uh, the way the Psalms often use this word. It means reverence. It means awe. So Psalm 33, it says, by the word, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. He gathers up the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. So there's this one aspect of fear that is having awe at just the sheer power of God, that he, in fact, has has brought all life into being. I heard a pastor who was illustrating this about his teenage sons. They got in a fight with their mother. Maybe she didn't she didn't get the, give them their way, and they started to talk back to her. They started to get kind of angry. And the father walked in, and he said, remember who you're talking to. That was his rebuke. Remember who you're talking to. You must have forgotten because she gave you life. <laughs> you came out of her body. <laughs> you would not be here were it not for her. That was his rebuke. He says, you need to fear. You need to be in awe. You need to have respect for what she's done for you. But then the other aspect of fear. So that first aspect is awe and reverence. Treating God with the authority he deserves. The other aspect, though, comes through in Leviticus. How many of you guys read Leviticus this week? Anybody? No? Okay. Well, Leviticus is a great book. It's not one that we spend a lot of time in, but it's a book that tells us about the law, uh, a lot of the ceremonial and religious laws under Moses. It also tells us some of the the civil laws, how the society under Moses was supposed to operate. Um, But it also gives us great principles for how we as Christians understand the law. And here's what Leviticus 19 says. It says, You shall not curse the deaf, or put a stumbling block before the blind. But you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. Okay, he says, you should not curse at deaf people, and you should not put something in the path of a blind person, but instead, what should you do? You should fear the Lord. Okay, so why shouldn't you do those things? The the deaf, they're not going to hear you. Right? The blind aren't going to see you. You're not going to be caught. That's kind of the point, right? But he says, the fir- you need to fear the Lord. You need to fear the retribution of God. In other words, this, this law is saying, you won't be seen, you won't be heard, but you will be seen and heard by the only judge that matters. This is why the fear of the Lord is the only true starting point of wisdom. Because wisdom, the whole point of wisdom is to say, there is a right thing you should do. Right? All wise people, they're going to say, here's the right way to be. Here's the right thing to do. Here's the correct way to respond to that situation. But how can there 
be a, a right thing if there's no God? How can there be a, a good thing or a bad thing if ultimately there is no higher authority? If ultimately there is no one that you have to answer to? I mean, let's be honest. Who, who's to say what's right or wrong if there's no authority? If it's only your conscience, then why is living to serve other people any more noble than living to serve yourself? Well, maybe the world would say, because if you just live for yourself, you're going to bring harm to others. Well, so what? <laughs> so what? If there's no judge, what does it matter? But Scripture says there is a God. There is a God who created life, who knows your hearts, who sees your actions, and who is going to judge each and every one of us. And we should be in awe of His glory, and we should be afraid of His justice. That's where we have to begin our search for wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So how do we know if we're on the right track? How do you know if you are progressing towards wisdom? I was speaking to a young man this week. Um, we were talking about churchy stuff, you know. I'm a pastor. We were talking about uh, how God judges sin. And he immediately responded when I, when I mentioned that. He, he, he said, you know, if that's the way God is, then I don't, I don't want to be with a God like that. If that's the way God is, I don't want anything to do with him. And you know, that's a pretty common response. I hear that from people a lot. Because when we find ourselves uh, at odds with Scripture, when we find ourselves at odds with something about God, we tend to just treat him the way, the same way we treat anybody we disagree with, right? When we disagree with a person, what do we do? Well, we say, I'm right and you're wrong. We judge them. We say, you should be the way I am, and I'm going to try to persuade you to my opinion. But when we do that with God, it's kind of crazy, right? When we say, I don't want anything to, I don't want to have anything to do with a God like that, what we do is we put, we put God in, in, in the, in the, we put God kind of in the, on the booth. We put God in the place of judgment, and we put ourselves in the judgment seat. And that's what exactly what Proverbs is trying to warn us against. It's saying, if you want to be wise, you can't start that way. If you want to be wise, you have to get out of the judgment seat. You can't start from the perspective that says, I know best. If you want wisdom, you can't approach the world by saying, I'm wise. Now everyone fall in line. Proverbs 3, it says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn from evil. And yet, that's the story of all of us. Romans chapter 1, it tells us it's the story of all humanity. Everyone comes into this world wise in their own eyes. It says, What can be known about God is plain to everyone in the world. Because God has shown it to them. 
His invisible attributes, His eternal power, His divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that He has made. So, they are with no, without excuse. So He says, God has shown Himself to the whole world. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they, meaning the whole world, we became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Romans tells us that on our own, our instinct is not to fear God, but our instinct is instead to reject God's authority and replace it with our own to replace it with things that make sense to us. Images of, of man and, and beast. Things we can get our minds around. And it's not just other people. Even people who call themselves Christians think this way. We might find things in the Bible that we say are true. We look at Jesus and we say, He's a good teacher. I like the things that He said. That thing about loving your neighbor, that was great. But really, we're the final authority. We pick and choose what we want to obey. We pick and choose what we want to believe. And in the process, we're not worshiping the real God, but instead we're, we're fashioning our own new God. A new God who's been made in our own image, in our own likeness. A God who we don't say, a God who looks just like us, that doesn't rub us the wrong way. We claim to be wise, but we're fools. Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, by that definition, we're actually, we're all in trouble. If, if that's where we start from, we're in bad shape because we all think we have the answers, don't we? We all look at this world and we say, if people would just see things the way I see them, we'd have a lot less problems, right? <laughs> Don't we just think that's the solution? People understanding things the way we understand them? But Scripture says, when we are wise in our own eyes, we're fools. When we are more worried about this world and earthly consequences than we are about eternal ones, then we're fools. When we despise the instruction and the will of God and say that we know better, then we're fools. It goes even further. Proverbs 16, that place I had just had us open up to. Proverbs 16.5 says, the people who are wise in their own eyes, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. By that standard, we all fall under judgment. By that standard, we are all guilty. And if those were the only verses in Scripture, well, we'd be doomed. But God tells us uh, a lot more than this. He tells us that His wisdom is able to overcome our foolishness. 
Actually, that's not what he says. <laughs> he says that he is so vast and infinite and so much greater than us that actually his foolishness is able to overcome what we call our wisdom. Our New Testament reading, it said, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, this is what it's, that was what we read in Romans, right? Since by our own wisdom, we all turn out to be fools. Since by our own wisdom, we don't know God, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach. That is, that's through the gospel. It pleased God to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. What Paul tells us in the New Testament is that God in his infinite wisdom, has sent a Savior for fools. Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. That in Christ, God the Son, the wisdom of God came to earth and stood in our place. That Jesus Christ, he came and he lived a life of wisdom. He feared God. He, he did the right thing. Even in those times when the rules didn't apply. Yet, on the cross, Christ suffered the wrath that we deserved. He got the punishment of a fool. The gospel tells us that the eternal, all-holy, all-powerful God chose to stand in our place and absorb the consequence for our folly so that we could have access to Him. So how do you know, then, if you're on the right track to wisdom, well, the first question you got to ask is, do you fear God? Wisdom begins with fear. It begins with the acknowledgement that, that our foolishness and our arrogance deserves punishment. That we are the ones who have cursed at the deaf man. We are the ones who have caused the blind man to stumble. We have committed countless sins that nobody knows about but ourselves and God. And one day, we'll have to answer for them. Unless Christ answers for you. Wisdom begins with that humble admission that apart from God's mercy, I am a fool. Wisdom, it begins on your knees, before the Lord, where we say, Jesus, forgive me for my arrogance. Forgive me for my pride. Save me from my folly and make me wise. Wisdom begins when we, we stare at the beauty of the cross and we let the foolishness of God outdo the wisdom of the world. Let's pray. Lord, we have a long way to go, and I'm, I'm kind of scared as we look at the book of Proverbs the next few weeks. I know that there are so many places where 
I carry myself with such ignorance and arrogance um, where I am uh, living for my own authority and not for yours. But Lord, I thank you for this reminder that you came to save a, a wretch like me. And Lord, I pray for anybody in this room uh, who may be feeling the weight of their foolishness right now, who feels the consequence of living life apart from you, of, of claiming their own authority. I pray, God, that you would give them the faith to come to you, to confess their sins and call on you as Savior. And I pray for the Christians in this room who are well aware of their sin, who know their need for a Savior. Lord, I pray that you would hear our prayer the way you heard Solomon's prayer. Lord, that you would give us wisdom, that you would teach us your ways, that you would give us the fear that would lead us to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.